listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. Well, hello, everybody. All right. Um, let's, do, let's do this again. I've been gone for a little while, so I haven't been preaching. I'm rusty, so I'm going to need your support. So I'm going to say it again. I want to hear it. I'd love to hear it. Those of you who are online, respond. Hello, everybody. Hello. It's good to see you all. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our last meeting of Stupid Taxpayers Anonymous. All right, this is our last one where we have been, what we've been doing really is, is trying to take a biblical event or a Bible story of some type and, and, and come together around that and see what we can learn in order to pay less stupid tax. And, um, I, you know, I'm going to be honest and tell you that I've paid a lot of it. Today, our story comes from an interaction between Jesus and all, all we really know this person as is a, as a Pharisee because there isn't really a name given in this interaction. What we know about Pharisees, of course, is that they were part of the religious leadership of the Jewish religion. And uh, we also know when we read this, and you'll see what I mean when, I, uh, when we go through it and read it, is that this guy actually was speaking on behalf of others in all likelihood because it kind of describes it as the Pharisees said. And so we know somebody said it, but probably he was speaking on behalf of others. And what they were doing was they were, uh, they were sort of making a statement, a pretty strong statement that they probably hadn't thought through real well. Let me just ask a question. Anybody ever done that? Ever made a statement you hadn't thought through? Yeah, like in the last five minutes, probably. Most of us have done that kind of thing a lot, and these guys do it. And the response Jesus gives, if they could have paid attention or would have paid attention, would have saved them and could still save us a huge amount of stupid tax if we would just pay attention. So let's pick this up. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 12, and we'll have it on the screen so you can see it. It says, then they brought him, now they're talking about Jesus here, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished, and they said, could this be the son of David? They were saying, could he be the Messiah, the chosen one? But when the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders, heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, or the devil, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Now, Jesus knew their thoughts, and so he said to them, and here's what I want you to see. It's so powerful. He said, every kingdom divided against itself, would you read the next words out underlined with me? Will be ruined. It'll be ruined. And every city or every household divided against itself, say it with me, will not stand. So Jesus says, in conclusion, if, if Satan drives out Satan, he's, he's divided against himself. And so that, how then, he says, can his kingdom stand? Now, there's a lot of good stuff in this portion of Scripture. And if you read what comes after that and what comes before, just such good stuff. But I want to zero in on just this thing Jesus said, which, and you can take it for what it's worth, I think... This is a time when we really need to hear this, this whole idea around the idea of what Jesus calls, and this is kind of what we're going to be talking about, this idea of a house divided, a house divided, because I see this everywhere I turn. So Jesus makes it crystal clear. What he says is, is that a house divided leads to ruin, or as he says, it cannot stand. I remember years ago, this is way back just before our, uh, this church had started, so long, long time ago, and, and I had been working in the construction trades at the time in a different part of the state where we lived, 
And I remember seeing a house start, starting to be built. There was a lot of houses being built. And I knew this was going to be quite the house because, first of all, it was huge. It was palatial. And secondly, even in the rough-in stages, they're bringing it up, roughing it, and putting the outside walls and the roof on and everything. They were putting so many extras in this thing. I knew this was going to be an amazing house. And so I was kind of watching it intently. And then something happened that I've seen happen with houses before but never quite like this is it's like construction just stopped. Have you ever seen that where you're watching a house being built and it's like, okay, what's happening? And you wonder what's going on. And a lot of times it's because a contractor is, is delayed or something happens, but these things are inevitable. They can happen. But this was different because months went by. And eventually it was years, and I had moved over to this side of the state, and we were now living over here, but I would go back to visit family where we had been. And I remember going back, and I happened to drive by one time, and I saw that house. And it was in the same exact stage that it had been in when I saw it the last time. And really by this time it had started to deteriorate and I knew that if they didn't do something, this house was going to be something that they would just have to raise to the ground and rebuild if they did it. You know, and it was like, why is that? And so I happened to see a guy who worked in the trades, construction trades, and I said to him, do you know that house? And I described where it was. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, do you know what happened there? He goes, I do. He said it was the dream house of a couple. And obviously they had a bunch of money, he said, and so they're building this house, it was going to be great. He said, and you've probably already guessed this, and then they got divorced. And as so often happens in a situation like that, it basically went like this. If I can't have it, you can't have it. And that's exactly what happens time and again. It's just as Jesus said, he made the statement, a house divided, say it out loud with me, cannot stand. A house divided divided, cannot stand. Now, I know that's pretty obvious stuff. You all know this, and I don't want to sound, make it sound too simple here, but let's just take a step back and look at what most of us know intuitively. And we've talked about this before. First of all, we know that we are better when we are together, but not just in the same vicinity. I've talked about this before, but when we're together, together. In other words, we're not just in the same location, but we share the spirit. We share unity in our lives. We are better when we are together, together. This is what scripture says. It says, by yourself, this is from Ecclesiastes 4.12, it's the message paraphrase, by yourself you're unprotected. In other words, you're, you're, you're in trouble. But with a friend you can face the worst. And then he goes on, he says, can you round up a third? I love this. A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. We are better together. In fact, I talked about this just about two months ago on June 7th, if you weren't here. It's worth listening to that talk on the podcast if you can, because this is, a, this is what we know, is that when we are connected, not just physically together, but when we share unity, we are stronger, we are smarter, we are more capable, we are healthier in every single way when we are together, together. Now, based on knowing that, and you already know that, you know that. Based on that, what we also know is, is that if you can introduce into this relational equation of being together, together, some type of division, what begins to happen is, is it inevitable that it will infect it in some way and begin to tear it apart until eventually unity is lost. And then remember what Jesus said, a house divided, say it with me, cannot stand. It can't stand. It simply will not. And we know that. And you see this happening these days. This is why I'm talking about it. You see it happening everywhere. Now, we've seen it for a long time happening in marriages. We see it happening in extended families. So like brothers not talking to brother, not talking to a parent, not talking to 
a cousin or a sibling. We see it happen in the workplace. We get angry. We get resentful. We, we, we lose our unity together together. And now we're at the same job site, but we just hate being there because we don't want to be around that person. We see it happening in our nation. And if you don't see that, you're, you're not looking, man. Remember what Jesus said, a house divided what? It can't stand. And I'll tell you another place that you see this. You see it happen among Christians. And it's an interesting thing to me. In fact, I, I'll tell you how I feel about this. Because, because it's like when you think about this, uh, so often people that aren't even united, when they get hit by a disaster, they will come together in response to the disaster, to fight against that thing. You see this happen time and time again. A nation or a people group gets attacked in some way, and they will come together to defend themselves and stand up against it. They will form unity. In other words, the disaster that comes at them causes them to unify. It's an interesting thing, though, with this whole COVID-19 thing, that this actually has not been unifying. It's been divisive. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's been actually incredibly divisive. And I'm not just talking about people disagreeing. I'm talking about division. I'm talking about unity between followers of Jesus being torn apart because they see things so differently and then they argue and they bicker and they don't know how to disagree. Now, I think it's important here for me to explain. When Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand, he was not describing a house where there's disagreement. You need to understand that in unity, being together, together, you're still going to have disagreement and different opinions and different perspectives. That is actually normal. The truth is, no house, no matter how unified it is, is always going to agree on everything. Jesus wasn't saying you have to be clones. You have to have just one mind. You know, you have to have the hive mentality type of thing. He wasn't saying that. Gosh, you know that's true. I can't even agree with myself all the time. It's just a reality of how it works. And I believe in healthy relationships, actually, there's going to be different opinions. There's going to be different perspectives. So Jesus was not saying that a house with disagreements or seeing things differently cannot stand. He was saying, he was talking about something deeper, about a sense of unity. He wasn't describing disagreement. And as I said, these things are true in all relational areas. Anytime you have more than one person, this stuff is happening and Maybe you're thinking about it right now, and this is what I hope, too. Maybe you're thinking about your marriage and saying, I feel like these days it's kind of like we're a house divided. Heed the words of Jesus. A house divided, what? It cannot stand. And if you do not address it, if you do not deal with it, whether it's a marriage or whether it's a relationship with a family member that's extended, whoever it is, if you allow that to continue, it will bring division and it will bring damage. And these things are true in all kinds of areas and some of you are thinking about them in your family or maybe you're thinking about something at work or maybe you're thinking about something in our nation. I was listening to guys in my life group, they were just talking just this morning as we met, talking about how I don't even like to watch the news because I find myself getting so angry because of my perspective, and then what I hear, and I get it. Does anybody know what that person's talking about? Because I was like, dude, that's why I had to limit myself on how much I don't watch the news, but I'll read it, 
on my phone, and I find my blood pressure, you know, if I could measure it, I never do, but I think it's pretty sure it's going up, baby, because I'm just ticked off. And everybody has their perspective. And what this does is this is not just disagreement, but it brings about a brokenness in unity. And so you can think about it at work, you can think about it in your family, you can think about it in your marriage, but I'm kind of talking this week about what happens in churches, among Christians, not just TVC, but in, in the Christian world on the whole. I, I actually agree with what some people say, that this pandemic that we're dealing with, this is not an interruption to our lives. This is a disruption. And I think it's a long time before it's going to be back to, so many people are like, I just want it to go back to what it was. And I think if it ever does, it's going to be a long time before that happens. And the truth is, is that as followers of Jesus, now I understand that some of you may say, I'm not even sure where I'm at. You may be watching online, you say, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. And I respect that. I respect that honesty, and I know you have to work through it. But speaking to Christians right now, can I just say to you, I don't feel like maybe in my lifetime I've ever known a time where we need to be more unified. The world is broken and heartbroken. And they need to see people who say, we have a hope. And even though we don't always see it the same way, we share a unity. And I think the church needs that. I, I, I think it, see, we haven't, Christians know that we have a very real and present enemy who comes to steal and kill and destroy And he's looking for any way. And if it's true that a house divided cannot stand, what's the way he would use to try to get the Christians, the Christian church on the larger? How does he try to destroy it? By introducing division and a destructiveness. And he will use that if he can. And and it's just heartbreaking to see because it damages people, it damages churches, it, it damages the statement that Christians are making to the world. Who wants to become a Christian when they look at Christians and all they see them is bickering and arguing over whether or not you do this and well, I don't agree with that and who am I going to vote for and all these things that are going on and people are bickering over these things. And I understand we don't have to see it the same way we can disagree, but we need to have a spirit of unity because a house divided, say it with me, it cannot stand. It cannot stand. And I want to challenge your thinking on these lines. Because I think sometimes Christians forget this. You know, God has spoken throughout Scripture on the importance of his followers being unified. You go back to the Old Testament, the psalmist writes, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters, say it with me, get along. Not agree on every little detail, but they get along. Paul he, he actually pleads with the Christian church in Philippi. And this is what he says, so powerful. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he says, in other words, if, if God's done anything for you, if you've experienced the blessing of God, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being, in, being one in spirit and of one mind, and and." and you, you look at that and you go, how is that even possible? How could people get to that place? Well, he tells us. He says, do nothing out of, what is that? Selfish ambition or vain conceit. He says, rather, this is the way you work. In humility, you value others. Nobody likes this next word. You value others, what? <laughs> above yourself, above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. He's not saying that we have to agree on every detail. What he's saying is, is that we must be together in spirit. 
you can have one mind and have different ideas and different perceptions on what's best and what's not best, and you work it out. And this should be how followers of Jesus view not only how they treat each other, but even how they treat people in the world. This idea of unity is absolutely the will of God. And yet I see the Christian church under attack these days, and I'm just going to tell you, I think if we're not careful, we're going to pay so much stupid tax. I'm, I'm just telling you, I think we are. I think because we think we're right and we got to shove our opinion down everybody's throat that we don't realize the damage that we're doing to the statement that we're making to the world, to what happens in the church, to what happens between believers. I think we're going to pay a lot of stupid tax. If we don't pay attention on this one, that it is the will of God that we be in unity. Now, let me just share some quick thoughts with you around the idea of unity and, 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 and living, really living united. And the first one seems brain dead, but, but, but unity is possible. Because I know a lot of people say, well, people are never going to get along. People are just never going to get along completely. And I understand what you're saying on that. But I'm going to tell you that God would not call us to unity if it were not possible. Would anybody agree with that? I mean, God doesn't call you to that which you cannot achieve by making an effort on that, so it's absolutely true. But I will tell you the thing about unity is, is that it is expensive, it's costly, and it takes time. And that is the second point, really, and I think this is such a critically important thing, is that, and some of you are not going to agree with this, but not only is unity possible, but behavior is central to unity. Now, let me explain what I mean by that, all right? I'm of the conviction that your beha- when it comes to unity, that your behavior is more important than your point. Now, some of you are already, your feathers are, well, just a minute now. What I believe is the most important thing, and this is, and people need, just listen to me a second, all right? When it comes to unity, I'm not saying your point doesn't matter. I'm not saying your point isn't important. But what I am saying is, when it comes to unity, the behavior you hold is more important. It's, it's central to unity. It's actually more important than your point. And your point's important. And here's why I say this. Because, because, here's what you know. Let's say you're, you're talking to somebody and they're politically on the other side of the coin. Or maybe this whole thing with COVID on whether people should wear face masks or shouldn't or whether this should happen or whether that, you know, all these things people love to bicker about. And they're on the other side of it. Here's what you already know about them. They can be wrong. Now, you know that they can be wrong because you're right. But you also know they can be wrong because you know that there have been times when you have been wrong. So you know they can be wrong and that they can change their mind because you know that there have been times when you have been wrong and you have changed your mind. Come on, is that true? So, so you know that. See, here's the thing, though. It doesn't matter how much right you have here or wrong you have here if your behavior is in such a way that you drive a wedge between you because to get your point across, there ain't nobody listening anymore. Your behavior, again, you may want to argue this with me. Just email the church, not my name, just the church, and, and someone will ignore it or something, I don't know, but you don't have to agree with me on this, but I'm actually of the conviction that your behavior is, is absolutely central to unity, and it's, it's, it's more important than your point, and your point is important. What I'm doing is I'm just elevating the importance of how you act, how you behave. So, so, so for example, you have this high ideal. You, this is the way. This is the, great. You have a high ideal. You believe this thing. Wonderful. But the problem is, 
is that if you drive people away, no one can even hear it. You know what scripture says, this is so powerful, this is in Galatians chapter 5 verses 14 and 15, it says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now look at this next part, so incredible. If you bite and devour each other, you watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And I haven't said it in a while, I guess I just need to say it, this is good preaching right here, all right, this is... This, we, we need to hear this. If you keep biting each other and devouring each other, you, you need to be aware that you will destroy each other because a house divided against itself, it cannot stand. It cannot stand. It cannot stand. So I'll say it again. It's not your point. It's your behavior. Unity is possible. Behavior is central to unity. Here's a third thought, and I think this is so powerful, is that unity thrives in a spirit of peace. Jesus made a statement. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And he said that for a reason. Because wherever there is peace, there is blessing. And there is the spirit that provides a place for unity to take place. And so unity thrives in a spirit of peace. And, 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 and we're going to come back to that in a minute. But look at what scripture says. It's so powerful. This is Ephesians 4.3. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. How do you do that? Through the bond of peace. The bond. Isn't that interesting? You keep the unity of the Spirit, not by making sure everybody knows what you believe and what's right and what's wrong and all that. No, no, you keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of what? Of peace, of peace. And as I said, we'll talk more about that in a minute. So unity is possible. Behavior central uh, to unity. Uh, unity thrives in a spirit of peace. And, and last thought, and I already said this, but I'm just going to come back to this because I think it's so important. This, I'm not the end of my talk, but just these pre-thoughts. And then I've got a few thoughts to share. It won't take us long. But a peaceful spirit is not a compromised spirit. See, some, I know some of us listening to this, even right now, we're like so concerned. You know, you're just talking about me compromising what I believe. You're talking about, no, you're afraid that if you lose your energy, if you lose your anger, if you, if you can't keep reposting these horrible things that you've been posting, you know, that somebody else has written that are just here, you think if that doesn't happen, that your point will be lost. What I'm contending is, by doing it, your point gets lost. By that very act, your point gets lost because you drive people away. I look at this stuff on social media. Honest to goodness, I hardly look at social media anymore. I went back on because of the COVID thing. I'd gotten off of it, and I won't, I'm not going to be on it that long because every time I look, I just all I see is people shouting at each other. It's like, this is the way it is, and people that don't agree with this are stupid, and I mean, th those aren't the exact words, but that's the implication through and through, and they're foolish, and they're idiots, and how can anybody think this way? And can't you see it? Somebody's going to go, you know, I didn't agree, but I heard what you said, and I have changed how I'm living and what I believe, said no one ever. All we're doing when we do this kind of thing, is turning the volume up, and then somebody else on the other side turns their volume up, and we're just shouting at each other louder and louder, and there is nothing that brings any kind of unity or any kind of health to us. Just be thoughtful about this. Look, I see this, and it just breaks my heart. So the reason I'm talking about this is because I see all this division among Christians. And frankly, I don't think it's wrong for us to see things different ways. I think it's wrong for us to allow division to come in and destroy the spirit of unity that can be held, as Paul wrote, in the bond of peace. 
whether it's disagreement over how we deal with the COVID-19 stuff or the racial demonstrations or politics or whatever it is, I'm just telling you, you don't have to sacrifice your beliefs. You don't have to sacrifice your point to have unity, but you do have to monitor your behavior. You know, my stuff is always really simple, but I'm just saying, I I think some of us have lost sight of the importance of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm really talking to Christ followers at this point. How you talk to and how you treat other people is so incredibly important. Because when we treat each other in undignified and unrespectful and unloving ways, we bite and devour each other and we will be destroyed by each other. So, so, let me just give you some quick thoughts on how we can, if you're willing to hear this, and you don't have to, but how we can beat division when it raises its ugly heads. Just three simple thoughts. And the first one is, uh, I'll move on to that. The first one is, you have to humble yourself. This, again, These never go over really well. This idea of humbling yourself never really, we don't want to do this. But here's what I mean by this. I just use this as an example. You just sit down. You just sit down. Now, here's here's why I say you sit down. Because that that is the posture of humility. It is not this. You need to understand that the way it is and what you're doing is, no, no, that is not humility. And humility is also not kneeling before the person going, whatever you say, I'll just have to believe and agree with. Humility is simply where you just say, okay, I'm here. It's respectful, it's kind, and it's thoughtful. Look, you know that you have been wrong before, right? Come on, I, I don't know if the people online are just going, forget you, but uh, here in this, this auditorium right here, you know that you have been wrong in the past, right? And you have changed your mind on things, right? Don't be so arrogant to think that you are perfect. What I'm talking about when I talk about Sitting is, is just, actually, it's just a humble thing. Where, where do you need to do this? This is what I would say the first point is. Just sit your butt down. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's with someone who disagrees with you on, on who should be elected or who should not. <sighs> Just sit your butt down. Be respectful. And then, and then my second thought is, and, and th- th- this is so important, is that you have to be forbearing. Again, just using this as a visual. You just move your chair over. And you just choose to be next to this person that does not see it the way you see it. Now, you know, the definition of forbearing, this is great, it is to be patient and restrained. Now, I could give you scriptures that say, you know, we should be forbearing and all that, but 
you can make an assumption there, all right? Be forbearing. Be patient and restrained. It means that you choose basically to say, I'm going to be here with you. I'm not, I'm not going to just get ticked off and drive you away or run away from you because we see things differently. I am willing to live in the tension. Now listen to this. Not because it feels good. Because it seldom does. You, you know what I'm talking about? Do you ever get around somebody and you're trying to be nice and they're on the other end of the spectrum and they're talking about what stupidity the, the people that see things like you do is, you know, how stupid it is and you're like, ah, I want to escape from you because you are an idiot and you are wrong. Maybe. Maybe. Forbearance says, no, I'm just here. I'm just here. I'm not going to walk over you and I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to do this because I have some kind of visceral pull to you that it feels so good. You know, I just, I just love you so much. I can't not be around you. No, no. Most of the time, when you do this, you just do it because it's right. Actually, that brings me to the, to the third point, and that is, is that you be a, a peacemaker. And I actually had a seatbelt installed on this chair. Is that awesome or what? <laughs> to be a peacemaker, you buckle in. You know why? Because the process of peace is often a bumpy, stinking ride. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because you've got people with different opinions, different ideas, and so you say, okay, I'm going to sit my butt down in a spirit of humility, and I'm going to pull up next to you, and I'm gonna, just going to be here. But then I'm going to buckle in, because here's the interesting thing about being a peacemaker. See, everybody says, yeah, I want to be a peacemaker. I want to, I want to make peace. And what they really mean is, is if you're acting like a jerk, I will avoid you and not argue with you. I'll go off over here somewhere and fume about what an idiot you are. And that is their idea of peace. Listen to the term. It's not a peace allower. It is a peace what? Maker. Do you understand what that means? That, that, that means that you're, I'm not sure how to get out of this. All right, there we go. That means that you're aggressive. That you're actually actively working, even though it's bumpy, even though it's difficult, so you don't run, you don't go, you know what, you're a jerk. You see it your way, I'll see it my way, but we'll never talk again. Do you want to know what peacemakers do that's the best thing that you can do? Is you listen with respect. I didn't say you agree, I said you just what? You just... You just listen with respect. You hear what they have to say. Because, 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 because. When people hear what you have to say, or when people know that you're listening to what they have to say, they're far more likely to open their ears to what you have to say. But this is what I find is that we don't want to hear what people have to say because we think we already know what they think and they're stupid. Number one, you don't know what they think. And number two, they are not stupid. In fact, I would say that the, the larger evidence of ignorance is not based on what they think. It's based on you thinking they're stupid. I understand this is a little uncomfortable, but I just think this is such important stuff to talk about. Uh, a few years ago when my older brother died, I was uh, quite a bit down in L.A. where he lived. had lived for decades. And uh, as you can imagine, his very closest friends 
have a different perspective and live a completely different, a vastly different lifestyle than I live or would live because of my faith. Now, they did not really know anything about me except that I was an evangelical pastor. And so they brought with that term all of the bad stuff that's come through the media on, you know, evangelical pastors that say all these things. And, and so, I mean, you know, I have no idea what they thought of me as. But I'll tell you, when I was down there, while my brother's friends and my brother's brother, me, and my other brother were loving him as he was dying, my determination was, I'm going to just treat these guys with the deepest respect as I watch them love my brother. And I'm not going to preach at them or tell them what I think. I am just going to listen to anything they have to say and treat them with respect. And you know, it wasn't that difficult. And I'll tell you, after Rick died, I heard that they were talking about me. And they said, we thought he was going to be a total jerk. He was actually a pretty nice guy. And I was like, that's all? (laughs) No, I didn't think that. What I thought to myself was, I don't know if the day will ever come, but if the day comes where there's an opportunity for conversation and they want to hear something that I have to say or what, they will hear me because I buckled in. I just sat my butt down, moved up next to them, buckled in, and listened to what they had to say. So this is what I'm doing. I'm just trying to call Christians out. You and I are called to be peacemakers. peacemakers. And it's worth the effort because it is the call of God on our lives and it's something we can do. And I hope that you will think about where in your life you need to set your butt down, scoot your chair up, buckle in, and don't destroy unity. Build it. Because it is possible. Now I will say this. Anyone who's listening to me online, here in this auditorium, any of our campuses, this is true for people who are followers of Jesus and people who aren't. If you want to live a wholesome life, man, be a peacemaker. Just be a peacemaker. But I will tell you, the best way to start is in relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have that, you can have that. I'm going to pray, and then at all our campuses, we're going to go to a time of worship, but When I pray, if you've not opened your heart up to Christ, you can do that. You can do that right now. So why don't you join me? Let's just pray together. And if that's you, if you you need to come back to God or you want to give your life to him and just say, I need your help, if you sense him speaking to you, just open your heart and say, Jesus, I ask you to come in and take charge of my life. It really is that simple. It's not a formula. It's just a fact. Come in. Take charge of my life. I give you my heart. And for all those who have prayed that prayer now, God, we pray that they would experience your loving touch in your hand. Move in their lives. Help them grow. And God, for all of us, help us to be peacemakers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tvcweb.com.